With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's a good group of kids to coach. I think they're attentive. I think they want to be good. You know, I think so that's always fun coaching. That's always that, that part of it. We want all the old players back here, you know, to have Dean here, Mark, is it Tranowitz? Yeah. We want all those guys back. That's big to us. And what a history and tradition. I mean, probably half these guys that are here don't even know who they are, really. You know, they know who they are, but they... You knew who Dean Steinfeld Hell yeah, I know who Dean Steinfeld is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I also think that it's not bad to get a couple of weeks in and then kind of reassess it and then go two more weeks. I'll, I'll have to see when we come back how that looks. I'm a little worried about how much they can get right back into doing what we just did right away. That's kind of interesting to me. So we'll hit them hard in the next couple of days about what they need to do over spring break so we can still practice like this when they get back. A lot of guys are staying in town. They're going to stay in town and, and try and you know, train, learn the defense, you know, continue to advance their strength and conditioning and uh, continue to grow their knowledge and our scheme. You know, some guys are, are going to go home and be with their families. There's just a, a few precious weeks out of the year when we get to do that, so I think a lot of guys are going to do that too. And that sets the scene here for another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus. It's our third episode now of the HOL podcast that we just launched it on iTunes. We were number one podcast on iTunes last week for all college. So uh, excited to hear a lot of Husker fans have already picked up on the new podcast. But here we are, guys. We're kind of in that lull of spring football, that spring break. Um, you know, and it's been this way for really the last, I don't know, four years. Nebraska's had... Uh, whether they did one week and then take a week off, two weeks to take a week off. Uh, it's a new format, as you just heard Mike Riley and Jack Gangwish talk there um, for Mike Riley and his staff. They've never had that week off. So it will be interesting to see, especially with a new staff, with so much new stuff that's been put in here, how these guys are going to come back and process it and and how the staff will approach that because there really is only six practices left uh, for this team uh, before that red-white spring game. Yeah, I think it's going to be really beneficial, you know, not only for the players, just to kind of get a mental – uh, break to kind of take a step back and just process everything that they've been taught and uh, tried to learn over the past two weeks. Uh, to just kind of take a step away and kind of kind of get a mental recharge, not only physical but, but mental as well. And for the coaching staff too, uh, this allows them you know a full week to you know really uh, do some thorough evaluation uh, of what they've seen uh, with those split practices. Uh, for the past two weeks and uh, kind of get a, a better idea of how to handle things uh, going on to this second half of this uh, this spring. And so I think it's going to be a good good situation and good setup for, for both sides, the coaches and players. Yeah, I think this break comes at absolutely the perfect time. Robin, you kind of touched on it, but especially for the coaches, I mean, it's just been an absolute whirlwind for them these last couple of weeks. They're still trying to get to know these players, just getting to know their names, much less their games, what their strengths are, things like that. And while they're doing all this, they're trying to install you know, entire new schemes. Now they get a chance, they get a week off to kind of go back, watch that 
watch the film of those practices and say, okay, here's you know what so-and-so does really well. Maybe we can use him in this type of a package or something like that. Just at least start to develop some skeletons of plans like that. That's going to be huge for them moving forward. Well, I, and I think we all have to keep in mind, too, that uh, this coaching staff isn't settled in quite yet. You know, this is a, a week where the, these guys can uh, get moved into homes, get families moved into Lincoln, and, and uh, uh, finally, you know, get their feet on the ground, um, you know, in their personal lives so that they can go forward, uh, you know, with spring ball and, and uh, concentrating on, uh, on recruiting going forward, too. Yeah, and that's something that you don't even think about is moving a family, putting kids in a new school. There's a lot more that goes into it. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus. Uh, we're setting the scene here as we, we talk spring football and offensive storylines. We'll also talk baseball, basketball, and recruiting later in the show. But let's keep focus on the offense. As, as you look at, at this team, I think it's clear there, there's still a lot of questions for this offense. You know, They haven't really put together that perfect practice, which they're never going to do that, but that, that moment where you're like, wow, this system is going to work. And I think for me, when I look at the offense, obviously the consistency of the quarterback and what direction they take things at that position with the offense, that's going to be one of the biggest things to me uh, when they look at spring ball. What will they do with that quarterback position and what direction do they want to go with this offense? Well, yeah, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, the coaches and how much they've had to adjust. The players have really had to adjust, too. And I think maybe no, none more um, than the quarterbacks. Uh, you just look at how many different things they're having. You're not only a new playbook, but the receivers are running kind of different route combinations. Tommy Armstrong talked a lot the other day about he's how he's kind of struggled with the footwork part of it so far, that uh, new offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf is installing. That's something that, you know, you, you get a week off, you can go home, you can spend some time working on that by yourself, and I think that's going to be huge. We've just seen a lot of timing issues, I think, between the quarterbacks and the receivers, and, and maybe just getting a week off will help them kind of get their legs back under them. The more time they spend in the system, I think the better they'll look. Yeah, what's going to be interesting to see is, you know, we talked about just this week off to kind of process everything. And uh, based off what uh, Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf uh, said the last time we were able to, to talk to them uh, in post-game inter- or post-practice interviews, uh, it sounds like they're really going to scale back uh, the amount that they're uh, installing offensively. I think they, they realize that I think the, the players are kind of at a threshold, so to speak, of how much they're actually processing and how much is just kind of, you know, going over their heads at this point. So uh, these next two two weeks are going to be interesting to watch, you know, as they kind of dial down the installation and focus more on kind of perfecting what they have in. And we'll see if that kind of translate into some better execution on the field. And Nate, some ways it reminds me a little bit of 2004. I don't want to get into Bill Callahan era stuff, but when they made that offensive transformation back in 2004, I always remember this. Jay Norvell said, it's pretty much like we've taken this team and we've put them in the middle of China. And we've told them that you've got to learn the culture, you got to learn the ways, and you got to do it overnight. And I think that's kind of where this offense is at right now. A lot of guys are studying the language, trying to understand it, uh, but you just can't get it done in two weeks. No, there's no way to get it done in two weeks. And and I think, uh, you know, that's why Mike Riley mentioned, you know, scaling back some and trying to focus in on being really good at a couple things and, and uh, wanting some guys to really emerge at, at being really good at, at uh, doing a handful of things instead of trying to master, you know, the entire system, you know, over the, the course of three or four weeks. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Dan Hoppen. And, Dan, you wrote a really interesting breakdown of Mike Riley's offense 
what they've done, the tendencies compared to maybe what Nebraska's done the last five or six years under Tim Beck, Sean Watson, Bo Pelini. What was some of the biggest things that you took away just from that data? Because there, there was a lot that jumped out to me. Uh, basically, you know, kind of the three main points that I really looked at um, as far as what we've seen in spring practice so far and what the statistics kind of back up from uh, Mike Riley's offenses at Oregon State. First of all, he's going to run a lot with his wide receivers. Um, you look over the past uh, over the past six seasons, Mike Riley has had receivers run 320 times. Uh, during that same span, Nebraska has had 50 wide receiver <laughs> runs. So, I mean, it, it's just on a totally different level. And I think if you're a guy like a DeMornay Pearsonell or a Glenn Irons kind of quick guys who are really good in space, that's music to your ears because that's, you know, that's a different part of the game that they can be used in. And I think something else that really stood out is I know a lot of people were really frustrated over the last couple of years. Nebraska did not use their tight ends very much at all. I think a lot of people look at Seath and Carter and uh, see a guy who's very athletic, you know, possibly a matchup nightmare against linebackers. And, and he just wasn't really utilized in that area. Nebraska's tight ends combined for 10 receptions last year Oregon State's had 55 and I know Oregon State throws the ball a lot more obviously so their guys are going to have more catches but over the past five seasons uh, tight ends accounted for over 17 percent of Oregon State's receptions compared to just 14 percent for Nebraska and uh, you know Nebraska didn't even use the tight end all that much even when it had Kyla Reed and Ben Cotton who were two pretty good receivers so I think those are two areas you're really going to maybe see some changes um, and maybe not even I think we'll see it more this season but certainly once Riley really kind of gets things down over the next couple seasons you're going to start to see that offense start to shift in a couple areas. The key though for Armstrong, A.J. Bush, Riker Fife, or whoever this guy is, Johnny Stanton, is the completion percentage. I think when I look at those Oregon State numbers, what jumps out to me is you've got to throw the ball in the 62 to 65% clip. And Tommy Armstrong has been more a 55% passer. And I will say a lot of his throws are deep shots, and you're not going to complete a higher percentage of those deep shots like you are the underneath short stuff. So I think for Armstrong or whoever the QB is, to, to run this type of system, you're, you're going to have to complete more passes at a higher percentage rate. You know, mm -hmm. be, being the Giants fan, you know, obviously I was able to watch a lot of what Danny Langsdorf's uh, offensive system they ran, you know, for that one year with Eli Manning. I know when he got hired, there was a lot of talk about uh, the success, you know, he played a part in, in, you know, Eli's turnaround year. Uh, and what that offense consisted of, you know, like you mentioned, was just a lot of short timing routes. Uh, you know, you didn't you know, put it, you put the ball in uh, risky situations. You know, it was all about uh, you know getting the ball out, not not you know sitting in the pocket, going through a lot of reads. And I think if they incorporate some of that, that's going to be a huge benefit, especially for a guy like Tommy Armstrong, because uh, when he struggled uh, over the past couple of years, is when he has to sit back in the pocket and go through reads and try and dissect coverages. Uh, and you know, if, if he's you know knows exactly where he needs to go with the football, uh, he could be pretty good. And so I think that's going to be the focus, you know, for Tommy or like you said, whoever that quarterback is to to not put so much pressure on them where they're sitting there, you know, on a seven step drop and, uh, you know, trying to break down every single uh, pass option that they have uh, to just, you know, get get the ball out of their hands and uh, focus on efficiency as opposed to getting big chunks at a time. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking spring football here in Nebraska in their spring break. The podcast, we don't take a spring break, guys. We work. <laughs> uh, we are a, hopefully every 
week of the year. And uh, I think we've even discussed during the regular season, we're going to try to do the podcast probably twice a week, a pregame and a postgame type version. Um, so uh, a lot of excitement here uh, as we put this podcast together in just our third episode. Um, you know, other offensive storylines on the site, we, we've talked about Robin uh, and Nate are, are guys that have, have maybe emerged, not, not the household names, um, that we already know on this team, but there's been a handful, Robin and, and Nate, you can chime in as well, uh, of guys that ha- that have emerged on this offense here through eight practices. Yeah, and, you know, obviously a guy like A.J. Bush gets, you know, a lot of talk, uh, as he, well, deservingly should. I mean, athletically, I think he's uh, a step above most of those quarterbacks. And, you know, if he can continue to progress mentally, and especially given the clean slate that all these quarterbacks uh, got going into, you know, the offseason, I think that there's a chance he could make a, a pretty big push, you know, maybe not for the starting job, but to, to be in that mix of, you know, that, that top two or three uh, quarterback rotation. Uh, so he, he's a guy that, you know, obviously stands out. And we mentioned Glenn Irons, you know, especially with the stats Dan threw out with how involved those types of wide receivers are in this offense. I mean, uh, DeMornay Pearsonell can't, you know, do it, do it all. And I think if you have a guy with, you know, almost a, a real similar skill set in Glenn Irons, I think he could be a, an extremely valuable piece for this offense, you know, especially over the next couple of years as he continues to settle in and develop because uh, the strides that he's made this spring already have been pretty significant and just compared to where he was a year ago I think you're really starting to see him uh, kind of come of age so to speak and I, I want to throw this in here um, we talked about A.J. Bush uh, but this was DeMornay Pearsonell talking about just the growth of A.J. Bush here this spring um, he's gotten a lot better uh, poise wise doesn't really wear I don't feel like he he wears his emotions as he did when when he first got here um, his arms are stronger um, he's picking up things fast that I, I, I'm shocked about some things but I mean um, he's just he's he's a lot more focused and uh, determined I'd say and that was the morning personnel more on AJ Bush and Nate he, he really has been the most intriguing guy to me on offense um, just because quarterback I mean everyone wants to, to talk about the quarterback. I think the last five, six years, we've tried to make it a quarterback race at Nebraska, whether it was Taylor Martinez versus Breon Carnes or um, whoever, Tommy Armstrong versus Taylor Martinez or Johnny Stanton versus Tommy Armstrong. But I think this is the first time in a while you could actually say there's a guy with some real arm talent and ability that's pushing the incumbent in Tommy Armstrong. Yeah, and pushing the the incumbent is the the key word, you know. Um, and, and Robin mentioned it, you know. AJ Bush, you know, he just has a, a different skill set, and I think a di- you know totally different look and, and a set of abilities, uh, you know, compared to all the other guys. You know, um, you know, he's six four, two hundred, you know, fifteen, two hundred twenty pounds. He he obviously physically stands out, but then you watch him, um, you know, his pass. He throws a great catchable ball, uh, has great velocity on his passes, and and I think uh, you know as the Mornay mentioned in that little. Clip, Flip there, you know, one thing that I've really noticed is he seems to be, you know, kind of taking command. Uh, he seems confident, uh, whereas maybe last year, um, you know, he would get upset and, and maybe try too hard, um, you know, and kind of get, uh, you know, a little emotional, you know, if he was if he made a mistake or something like that. So, um, you know, I think those qualities are, are you know, something that, that's important to see in a guy who's coming up and is going to try and make a push for that starting job. I still think it's pretty interesting, though, that they've kept him on that white field. Um, there's the red and the white team, if you're not familiar with how Nebraska's broken up practice. And they used to do two separate practices. They've been doing them both at once. Even when Tommy Armstrong was gone uh, with back spasms, the final two practices, you had A.J. Bush still with the white team. 
so I feel like he's almost been kind of hidden. I mean, it's almost like they don't want the other guys to see A.J. Bush making all these great throws on the other field. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how they handle that and, and what they do. I know the red-white game will, will be kind of a true evaluator for a lot of fans and media when we see those guys in front of 70,000, 80,000 people. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, and I, I think I guess my theory on that is that uh, they're wanting to, to get AJ uh, a lot more reps over there. What I've noticed is he may not be running with the uh, um, with the the top units, but he's getting a ton more reps over there. Guys, this is a HuskerOnline.com podcast. When we come back, we'll shift the focus over to defense and kind of talk more about some of the things that have stood out here through eight practices. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. They're great. I mean, and it's awesome to go against them. I think those are two of probably the best tackles I've seen around in college football. You know what I mean? So in the Pac-12, that would have been right up there. Hell yeah. I mean, the real deal, I think, you know. You know, physical, uh, one guy could beat you with speed or with with power, you know what I mean? Malik, obviously. And so obviously that's great training for our guys going against those guys every day. They- those are two guys that, uh, you know, they're lunch pail and hard hat type of guys. They come out here to work. You look at Vince Valentine, he's 300 some pounds and Malik's big old boy too. Those are some head button, chest punching, freaking warriors out there. Those guys go out there to try and make plays. They, they go out there to make their presence known and, and they definitely feed off each other. They, those guys, you know, we got, we got big plays going on on the inside. It, it radiates out, you know, the whole defense can feed off of it. That was Jack Gangwish, Nebraska's starting defensive end, along with offensive line coach Mike Cavanaugh, just talking about the dominance of Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine here this spring. Welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus. We're moving over now to, uh, to defensive talk, and it's hard not to, to talk about Valentine and Collins because I think if you were to do a ranking of Nebraska's 10 best players, they might be one and two right now. Yeah, I think it's no surprise that you know they're clearly you know two of the best players on the team. But uh, through the first two weeks, I think the manner in which they've just dominated practices uh, has been really stood out. Uh, you know, the other day, uh, last last week, the last practice we were able to watch, uh, there were there were times when the offensive line literally could not block Valentine and Collins. Uh, I mean, they were they were simply just wreaking havoc, uh, especially when the, you know they were trying to do some pass plays. Uh, and I, you really almost felt bad for those quarterbacks because you know they're sitting there trying to show what they can do, and they got two three hundred pound monsters charging at them right up the gut. So uh, I, I think that uh, you know we kind of mentioned this last week that you know it's you can't really fault the offensive line for having the struggles with those two that they've had because there's going to be a lot of teams Nebraska faces this year uh, that are going to struggle blocking those two guys. And yeah, I mean we've talked. To people on the current staff, uh, former players who've watched practice, even some guys on the on the former staff who have said, you know, get don't get used to seeing Malik Collins too much because this might be his last spring in Lincoln. And, and obviously, it's way too early to start talking about him in the NFL draft or anything like that. But I bring it up just because that's how much he's impressed people. That's how much um, you know people who understand the game of football think of him. I think you really saw Malik Collins come on down the stretch last season. He had all four and a half of his sacks in Nebraska's last six games. He's a dominant run defender, and he just looks better this spring even than he did last fall. Yeah, and you can argue, Nate, when you look at Malik Collins, where he's at as going into his true junior year, I mean, he's done more at this point than Adamican suit did. 
through his first two years at Nebraska. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if you look back at Indomitian Sue's career, uh, he was, I mean, he was a good player, but he, he didn't really make his you know, presence. He didn't arrive on, on the, the conference stage or even the national stage, uh, you know, until his junior, senior years. So um, I, you could make the argument that uh, he's right on the same level as Sue. Uh, I'm not going to say that he's going yeah, to end, yeah. end up being there. You heard it here first. Pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. At, but at this point in, in their careers at Nebraska, uh, they're on the similar trajectory. He'd take that paycheck from Sue, I know, right now. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sue, the highest paid defensive player in NFL history. Is that right, guys? I mean, he's yes. talking about $60 million or $50, $61 million guaranteed. Sounds right, yeah. Wow. I'd take that. <laughs> You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen. Uh, we're talking spring defensive storylines. And obviously, we've, we're going to talk about Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine probably – every week throughout the season. But I think one of the most intriguing positions in spring ball on the defense has been the secondary, particularly the cornerback position, guys like Chris Jones, Joshua Kalu, um, Byerson Cockrell, you know, a, a guy that played here last year as a newcomer, um, Kyron Williams. There's a lot of younger guys, Trey Mosley, uh, that have had big moments, and they, they're pushing a lot of these veterans that are juniors and seniors right now. Well, yeah, the first time that we got a chance to uh, speak with Brian Stewart, who's a new defensive backs coach, you know, we kind of got a chance to ask him, what do you look for in a cornerback? What kind of guy are you looking for? He said, I like long, rangy guys, that you know, long arms that can bat passes away. I think you look at guys like Chris Jones and Josh Kalou, they fit that example pretty well. Um, and both of them have played really well so far in the first couple weeks of spring camp. You know, I think we saw Josh Clue kind of have some moments last year as Nebraska's dime back. Um, Chris Jones was more of a special teams guy. But, you know, those are both guys, they're getting an opportunity with Charles Jackson and Daniel Davey Hurt, and I think they're taking advantage. It's going to be maybe tough for them to overcome those veterans completely, but they're at least um, shortening the gap. And if they can continue to improve over the summer, they'll have a chance in the fall. Nate, I know you've talked to a lot of other people on the outside that have a lot of knowledge of the defensive back position. What are some of the things you're hearing about these younger defensive backs? Well, yeah, what I'm what I've been kind of hearing is that uh, you know a guy like Chris Jones is probably um, you know the the most uh, you know talented player back there uh, is in terms of coverage skills, pure raw coverage skills. Uh, Chris Jones is probably the most talented you know uh, corner on Nebraska's roster, um, and uh, it, it, for him, it's all about confidence going forward. And um, you know, a guy like a newcomer like Eric Lee uh, has a lot of natural coverage ability. Um, you know, it's about, you know, learning the defense with him right now. Um, you know, and of course, Kalu uh, is, you know, he came to campus, you know, pretty much ready to play. His high school is known for producing uh, uh, talented corners, uh, defensive backs. They run, you know, a, a college system there in high school. Uh, so uh, I think the most impressive thing is, you know, even though you lost two starters to, to injury, there really hasn't been a drop off. And you've got veterans like Daniel Davey, Charles Jackson, Jonathan Rose. Those are the three that, that jump out to me um, at the corner position. And if I'm those guys, I, I want to be out there practicing right now uh, because these new coaches, they don't know what you've done in the past. They don't care what's happened in past situations. They're looking at the now. And what they know now are these eight practices. And what happened in the previous games really won't matter. And, and you know, not, other than Daniel Davey, you know, Jackson and – 
Um, you look at a guy like Rose, they haven't really put it together. I mean, we've all talked about the potential of those two guys. They were four-star recruits, Army All-Americans. Both of them were. Uh, but for whatever reason, Jonathan Rose and Charles Jackson, whether it's injuries, mental things, just have not put it together. And, and they better do it here in a hurry. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, obviously injuries are – you never want that to happen to any player. But for those two guys in particular uh, to go down in, in such a, a crucial – point in the offseason I mean like like we've talked about I mean when we, as soon as those guys went down those young guys immediately took full advantage of those added reps and, and you know the one guy that we haven't really talked about much is Trey Mosley you know he doesn't necessarily fit that mold that you know Dan was mentioning that uh, coach Stewart uh, likes in his corners you know the long lead you know he's almost kind of a shorter compact type guy but athletically uh, that guy brings it and he's he's made some plays uh, seemingly every practice we've watched him uh, and so that, there's there's so many different young guys here that are uh, going to make the competition at that corner position you know maybe one of the more intriguing positions uh, on, the, on the entire team over the course of the offseason just because like we've mentioned there's so many young players that could potentially be starters uh, when they take the field in uh, the end of August. Sean you mentioned him a little bit but I, I kind of want to get your take on Jonathan Rose and what you've seen from him I mean it's just he's kind of been an enigma since he's been on campus you know he, he transferred in from Auburn a couple of years ago was was thought to be a really big get even got a black shirt last year which was kind of odd and I, I know that angered a lot of people um, you know it, it kind of felt like maybe they were trying to keep his confidence up or something he even admitted that he was surprised to see that he got one did but he a, did he start a game last year I don't, I don't think he, he did. did not start a game I the only real playing time I remember him getting was when he came in briefly against Michigan State and gave up yeah, a long touchdown to Tony Lippett yeah <laughs> So uh, just what have you seen from him? Is this a guy who can make that jump as a senior, or is he just not going to be able to figure it out? Well, what's interesting is Jonathan Rose, as a true freshman at Auburn, played as a freshman a lot. Uh, but obviously, you know, got into some – had some problems off the field or whatever that caused him to come to Nebraska. And for whatever reason, I think under the previous staff, the, the mental concepts of the defense were just too much. And I always remember this quote from last year – we asked him, what, what's the difference between the SEC and playing in Nebraska? And he goes, in the SEC, they just roll the ball out. There's your man, guard him and go. He goes, at Nebraska with Coach Pelini when I was here, the defense, there were so many more concepts. It's like the NFL, really, when, when you talk about the complexity. And I'll be curious how he adapts because, you know, he is a talented guy when you look at him physically. Um, you know, he talks a good game. He's a confident kid. Um, like I said, he was an Army All-American um, I just think mentally it was hard, and he was playing behind some pretty good players um, the last couple years. Um, when you go back and look at like Stanley, Gene Baptiste, and, and some of the corners uh, Nebraska's had. So, but yeah, it's as Robin and I have wrote a couple stories before. It's now or never uh, for a guy like Jonathan Rose because if he doesn't get it done now, these young guys aren't going away, and uh, they're going to keep bringing in better young guys here in the future. Yeah, and that's probably the best case situation, though. I mean, having you know guys continuously push you because you never want guys to be content, especially at a at a position like cornerback, where you know confidence is maybe one of the more important attributes you can possibly have. So, uh, whoever wins that job is going to have truly earned it, and that that should certainly be a good thing for the secondary. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking defensive spring storylines. You know, safety position. Um, I don't know if there's been enough. The, the thing that's been hard for me to gauge really with the defense and, and the team as a whole is you just haven't had a lot of live scrimmage that we've seen. 
um, as far as full takedowns. And it makes it hard to evaluate positions like running back, like linebacker, et cetera, just because you don't see these guys tackle. Uh, Safety is one of those positions as well. But we know Nate Gary is one of the starters. I think the other position, though, will be will Leroy Alexander just kind of move right back into his role or, or will Kyron Williams kind of hold him off and, and win that job? I think uh, that is an intriguing battle. I mean, who are the other guys? I mean, besides those three, is there anyone Cockrell. else? Cockrell. Byers and Cockrell. Yeah, and Byers and Cockrell. I mean, those are four quality safeties. Well, and Aaron Williams, the incoming freshman, has been seeing a lot of a lot of reps there with uh, with that upper unit too. So, uh, and he's made some plays. He's looked. He's he hasn't looked like a true freshman out there. So, uh, he's another guy to to kind of watch out for. And you talk about these early enrollees. Never before has the timing been better to be an early guy at Nebraska, particularly on defense. When you look at Dedrick Young and the three defensive backs, Avery Anderson, Eric Lee, and Aaron Williams. These guys are walking into a situation that's really never been at Nebraska where uh, they've been able to come in on the same level of playbook knowledge as the veterans. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better better situation for those guys. And not only are you know is everyone starting you know at ground zero um, and kind of earning their way, but uh, you know these guys are are talented. Um, you know, Dedrick Young is walking into a position where uh, that is extremely thin. Um, you know, and, and for him to come in and and go through spring ball, I think uh, you know gives him the leg up to to see an awful lot of playing time as a true freshman. Um, but uh, you know, the overall you know theme, I guess, from all these these guys is, um, you know, they're, they're confident and uh, they haven't looked lost, you know, at all out there. I feel like they, they've, they look like they've been here for a couple years already. They, they, they look like they belong. And, and, uh, and I think that's going to pay off uh, going forward. And early enrollees, it's, it's not normal at Nebraska. You don't get it a lot uh, with kids here at Nebraska. It's a big SEC thing. I think Tennessee has like 13 this year. Uh, but, you know, to have four freshmen, not JUCO guys, um, that that's about as big of a number that I can remember at Nebraska. Uh, I think the very first early enrollee ever was Kurt Dukes at quarterback way back when, and that one didn't work out so well. Um, but you know, you ha- you've had some guys where it's worked out well. And, and Marcus Mendoza was an early enrollee; he never saw the field. Kevin Williams was an early enrollee; he's still battling kind of injuries and whatnot. But I think these four guys coming in and Dan Robin, if you chime in, uh, I think they're they're different than some of these other guys. I think they have a legitimate chance to play right away. Yeah, that's a huge advantage. Obviously, to, to get a jump on you know just learning a, a, a college system for you know for these guys that are you know basically still what should be in the, the spring semester of their high school uh, year. So uh, I think that that's obviously you know goes without saying that you know these guys are getting extremely valuable experience. But like Nate mentioned, I mean none of these guys look like true freshmen, especially true freshmen coming in a semester early. I mean, these guys have held their own uh, athletically and, you know, have made some plays. I think Dedrick Young is a guy that's going to factor into that linebacker rotation, you know, out of necessity, but, you know, he's also uh, earned it. And uh, those two corners, Eric Lee and Avery Anderson, I mean, they, they just, they look, they, there's not a drop-off, you know, when you go from the veteran guys to these true freshmen. I mean, they, they know the position. They have just natural ability uh, that they bring there, and they, they got confidence. And that, those are things that you just can't, uh, you can't teach, and so I think that uh, you know, not only are these guys getting a great opportunity, uh, but they're more than capable of taking full advantage of it. We'll pick the football talk back up later in the show when we talk recruiting, uh, but when we come back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast, we'll get an update on Husker basketball recruiting and kind of where things are at maybe with some potential roster attrition with Robin Washington and Dan Hoppen. That's next.
Welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Robin Washett. Now we're shifting our focus over to Husker basketball as Nebraska not playing right now. Still two Big Ten teams are, though, Michigan State and Wisconsin. Not a surprise, Wisconsin made uh, to the Sweet 16 as a one seed. And really, for us three, I don't think any of us were surprised that Michigan State uh, made it to uh, the Sweet 16 as well. I mean, both those teams – um, you know, have, have the talent. And you look at Michigan State as a seventh seed. That was uh, one of the bigger, you know, they're, they're way more talented than a seventh seed. And I think a lot of people that know Big Ten basketball probably picked Michigan State to beat Virginia in that game uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, not only are they completely uh, uh, underseeded, I think that's the right way to say it, uh, you got to factor in the Tom Izzo impact. I mean, that guy could take a YMCA like pickup squad and probably get him at least to the round of 32 and uh, and then of course the bracket they I mean that was probably one of the easier paths you could ask for and so I think the stars have aligned for Michigan State to, to make a potential run to the final yeah, four. Yeah he ate Georgia for lunch in that first game oh, and then Virginia same thing with Virginia I mean they, they, those guys you knew Virginia's record with 30 wins national coach of the year but Tom Izzo, man, that's a Hall of Fame coach. Well, here's the deal with Virginia too: is you know they play their their whole style is to just muck it up with good defense and make some timely shots. Well, that's Big Ten basketball, baby. So Michigan State was fully prepared for that style of play, and uh, they kind of they, they took care of business with that one. Yeah, and I think you look at that East region; it's wide open. I mean, you know, Michigan State was a dark horse pick by some people to potentially make an Elite Eight or maybe even a Final Four run. And I think uh, Villanova was the one seed mm-hmm. in, in that uh, bracket. They've already gone down. So it's wide open. It's there. Yeah, Michigan State has a chance. And they've definitely – and I'm interested to get you guys' take on this. I would put Tom Izzo up among the best college coaches in college no basketball. I think Calipari's up there with his combination of recruiting plus getting those guys to play hard, play defense, take less minutes. Obviously, Coach K is up there. I think Tom Izzo is in that conversation, though, isn't he? Yeah, if you're making a Final Four of college basketball coaches, you got to put Tom Izzo in there just just for the facts that you know. How many times have we seen you know people say this isn't Tom Izzo's best team, not nearly, but yet they still make push uh, a huge charge in March. You know, I think the the job that he does every time the NCAA tournament rolls around uh, is just remarkable. I mean, the, the 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 guy doesn't necessarily always have the best players, but the way that he gets them to play, especially on the defensive end, uh, is is pretty impressive. I go back to that game in Lincoln, the one Nebraska won, and even has bad as Michigan. State played. I mean, how many? They missed so many free throws, yeah. if I remember right. They they shot like forty percent or something from the free throw line. Still, they really. If that game was thirty seconds, maybe a minute longer, they might have won that game in Lincoln. Yeah, and you know, I think that that's easily Nebraska's best win of the season. You know, maybe one of the few Cincinnati and Michigan State. Yeah, yeah, those two. But I, I would put it that that win over Michigan State. I mean, just the fact that they are where they are right now and for Nebraska to get that win, that, that was one of the few uh, shiny spots of, a, of an otherwise dreary season. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen are two basketball experts here on the site. We're talking hoops. And, you know, Robin, you, you look at things with Nebraska right now, no official roster attrition yet. And the key word remains yet. And um, they're making active recruiting offers they're potentially trying to bring in some players. What's the latest here on the pulse uh, with where things are at in recruiting? Yeah, they're kind of handcuffed right now uh, just because the fact that they don't have a open uh, spot 
at this point. You know, they've extended one confirmed offer that we know of. Uh, that's to Mike Edwards, a 2015 um, kid from John Glenn High School up in Michigan, you know, 6'10", stretch four guy. Uh, and, you know, it's funny with him, uh, the, the, the Nebraska really can't bring him in for an official visit right now just because it'd be awkward since, you know, they technically have a full roster for next year. And so you're bringing in a guy before uh, a spot becomes available would, would seem kind of weird. And so uh, they he was hope when I talked to him uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, he told me that he, that he wanted to get in before the recruiting dead period, which goes from April 1st to the 9th. And he wanted to come this coming weekend on the weekend of the 28th here this Saturday. Well, that obviously didn't work out, and so he ended up scheduling an official visit to Georgia, who uh, was right before Nebraska as his first, you know, true Power Five offer. And so uh, we'll see kind of what happens with that. You know, there's still obviously time for them to to, to schedule a visit. You know, potentially bring him in for the spring game, maybe. Uh, you know, Nebraska had some success with that. Uh, a year ago with guys like Ed Morrow coming in. So uh, it's the door is still not shut on that. And, you know, probably by then we'll know a lot more as to, you know, how many uh, open spots will become available. Uh, you know, Taran Petaway is the, the guy everybody's talking about. Uh, he's down in Texas right now back home with his family uh, for spring break. And uh, this is the week that he's uh, has planned to really kind of evaluate all his options, talk it over with his family, and uh, really try to come to a decision. So I wouldn't be surprised if we find an answer on his future with Nebraska uh, by early next week. How bad, when you look at other recruiting needs, not for this year, but maybe the following class, how bad does this team need a shooter? A guy that when he gets the ball in his hands behind the three-point line, everybody knows there's a good chance it's going to go in when his feet are set. I, I just feel like that has been one of the missing elements where you know there's that guy where literally when he gets the ball everyone knows like you kind of hold your breath because the ball is coming out of his hand it's going to go in that's been a missing piece in Nebraska I think the last couple of seasons oh yeah it's it's been years since Nebraska had a player like that I mean maybe this isn't the last guy who really filled that role but the name that immediately comes to my head is like a, a Paul Volander and I mean even he was kind of Harry Cohorn well yeah you're going way back there but <laughs> I mean even those guys are kind of watered down versions of what you would really like to have you know a guy that can shoot but also contribute and do some other things I think there's a lot of hope that Andrew White um, the transfer from Kansas who had to sit out this year will be that guy um, and he certainly has a capability we've heard you know how good of a shooter he is so maybe he comes in and he's able to do that but I think part of it also is just is be, being able to have the ball movement to get open shots for those three-point shooters that's something that Nebraska hasn't really had you saw the ball was so sticky on offense at times this year you know somebody gets it you know they they survey the situation they just dribble it into the ground none of Nebraska's point guards are really true distributors at this point that's something that really kind of needs to get flowing too to get some of those guys open looks yeah that is uh, something because even when you look at the threes that Petaway hits you know they're not coming off screens with his feet set he's just taking you know one-on-one almost NBA style type shots. Well, and what makes him so successful, or what has in the past, is when he's able to drive and kick out. And you look two years ago, uh, you know, he had Walter Pitchford shooting at a 40% clip along with Ray Gallegos. And so teams had to respect those guys. And they just didn't have anybody to respect this year. And so it's basically when Petaway drove to the basket, you collapse four guys down and make life as difficult as possible for him. And uh, that obviously took its toll over the course of the year where frustration started to mount. And I think he kind of got worn down physically. And uh, it just ended up being a, a real negative snowball effect for that offense because they completely lost their flow from what they had uh, during that run 
uh, two uh, two years ago. Hey, Robin. Before we wrap things up here, how what's the realistic timeline for the roster attrition? When when when, the, when could this happen? I mean, could it go all the way until finals week, or would you expect it uh, sooner rather than later? Yeah, usually, uh, you know, you you know for sure uh, once the semester wraps up. So uh, there's potential this that this could drag on for a little longer. Um, obviously, the coaching staff would like to know as soon as possible because, uh, like we mentioned, this is really kind of putting a, a hold on the recruiting efforts to. to potentially fill out uh, any openings that will happen with this class so but it could also happen to where you know a guy leaves in the summer I mean there's really no set deadline for guys to leave and uh, we've seen in the past you know a guy like Nate Hawkins he left early a little after the semester so uh, there, there's no uh, set time frame for this to happen but I think if you know that a guy is going to leave which uh, the fact that they're extending at least one offer out there uh, the coaching staff believes that will happen uh, they should know sooner rather than later well make sure you stick with Husker online for the latest developments on Husker basketball. When we come back, we will shift over now to baseball talk as Nebraska has really one of their biggest non-conference weeks in recent memory. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppin, Robin Washett. We're shifting over now to Husker baseball talk, and it is a big week for Nebraska as uh, a midweek series with Cal State Bullerton and any of us that have grown up in Omaha like Dan and I have going to the College World Series. That is a blue blood of college baseball, arguably the top program on the West Coast. Um, even better than most of the Pac-12, if not all the Pac-12, when you look at their recent 20, 30-year history. Uh, but then Texas comes in this weekend as well uh, to play a three-game series. And it's really interesting, Dan, when when you look at, at what Darren Erstad has done um, you know, he's just not a guy that's going to back down from anyone. And, you know, it's kind of changed the scheduling philosophy. I think a lot of teams in the Big Ten have upped their scheduling. Um, and Nebraska, to me, was really one of the first teams to kind of do this model to kind of boost the RPI. And, and so far, it's working. It's something that you have to do in the Big Ten because, you you know, you just understand – um, and, and this is changing a little bit, you know, as, as the conference has improved. But at least a couple of years ago, the conference was not at a level where you got a lot of respect from having a lot of success in the Big Ten. So you had to go out and play some impressive non-conference series. You had to kind of test yourself against these tough opponents. And and Darren Ur said, you know, he always talks about he wanted to play these games to install that mindset in guys to get them in situations where they're actually, you know, playing teams they're going to be playing in the postseason. So when Nebraska got to that level they didn't get wide eyes against these more talented clubs so um you know you've seen nebraska do it they've clearly had success with it and like you mentioned i think some other big 10 teams are kind of taking that leap you mentioned we talk about cal state fullerton but obviously around here texas uh they go nebraska and texas baseball go way a ways back and i remember you know when i covered baseball uh, for the daily nebraska back in the, the mid-2000s you know those were some of the the, the most entertaining uh, and competitive series of the entire season and so uh i mean i do, do, do you talk to guys that you know maybe have a uh, i know that as far as Nebraska baseball is from removed from the Big 12, but do you guys have an appreciation for you know that that rivalry and kind of what Nebraska Texas baseball means in, in the grand scheme of things? Well, yeah, I, you know, the 
the players, uh, you know, they, they don't admit anything like that. They kind of take their cue from Urstad and just, you know, say every game is just as important as the last one. But I, I think they understand, especially because you've got so many local kids on this team. I mean, you've got kids from Millard West, Westside, a couple kids who, you know, went to JUCO for a year um, but then came back. You know, they understand the the connection with Texas. And you got to remember, Nebraska actually played down in Austin um, in 2013, a couple of years ago, and was swept by Texas. So I think, you know, some of the some of the older guys on this team, they remember that and they don't look back favorably on that experience, I'm sure. So and of course, they all understand that this is a huge opportunity this weekend. I mean, they're they've put together a really nice stretch here, but it's come a lot against, you know, teams that maybe don't have the the name quality of a Texas or, you know, an LSU or an A&M like they played earlier this season. Having a big series against a team like Texas, that's the kind of thing that's kind of going to put you on the map nationally. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking Husker baseball now as Nebraska has a big week with Cal State Fullerton and then Texas here on the weekend. And, you know, you go back and you think about some of those historical Texas games. And I know Robin covered some of them way back in our old daily Nebraskan days when we were in college. But I think those were some of the series that that put the Huskers on the map. And for as good as some of those Texas teams were, Dave Van Horn, even Mike Anderson's teams always got the best of them. They always could get them, even down in Austin, they would have success winning those series. Um, I think Van Horn's record against Texas was, you know, unbelievable when you look at how good some of those teams were at Texas. And, um, you know, I just think it's fun. Um, I know the weather's not going to be as nice as it has been, but I would still expect crowds of upwards of four to 5,000 all weekend. Yeah, I, I would be um... – I'd be surprised if there weren't crowds like that. I mean, even, you know, Tuesday night uh, against Cal State Fullerton, the weather was not, you know, preferable. It was somewhere around 40 degrees. It was kind of raining and misting the whole day. And Nebraska still got, you know, uh, almost 2,100 people to come out to that game. So you throw in a weekend series against Texas with what should be better weather, I think you're going to see some pretty good crowds. Husker baseball has that. There's that hardcore group of about 2,500 fans that – they're there no matter what the record. But then if they're good like they are right now and the weather breaks 60 to 70, that place is full. And it, it's a sight to see. And I, I think everyone kind of senses something special coming on this year that maybe that regional that Nebraska has not hosted since 2008 could possibly come to Lincoln. And I think a lot of it, Dan, is going to stem on the RPI and, and the Big Ten. And luckily for the Big Ten and you know guys like Kendall Rogers from D1Baseball.com are already projecting um, this is going to be more than a two to three big bit two to three bid league, maybe a four to five bid league. Yeah, and uh, um, Kendall Rogers also mentioned you know that four to five bids that can include potentially maybe one or two teams hosting, and Nebraska would certainly you know be in that discussion there. Obviously, we're still you know very early in the season, but you look at the RPIs right now. Uh, the Big Ten has seven teams that are in the top 53 in the RPI, which is extremely uncommon uh, for this point in the season. And some of those will drop. Like Iowa right now is 28th. They they've been playing you know like business colleges and things like that. <laughs> their schedule is just ridiculously easy. So some of those teams will drop. But yeah, the Big Ten is getting better. Um, and, you know, it's no longer just a, a conference where you can just come in and walk over people if you're a good team so you know as well as Nebraska has been playing they're they're gonna have to keep that up and maybe even raise that level going into you know full Big Ten play here 
Dan, when you look at the course of this winning streak Nebraska's been on, you know, obviously uh, it's been a pretty impressive run, but uh, I mean, I, I assume that it's been far from perfect. Uh, looking ahead, you know, we talk about how good the Big Ten is going to be this year. Uh, what would you say are some of the biggest issues still facing this team and, you know, maybe, you know, some of the, the things that most need to be addressed uh, going forward in the, in once conference play rolls around? I think the the offense has been a little bit inconsistent at times. Um, you've seen some games where where they've really looked great. I, I thought um, their game Tuesday night against Fullerton was probably about as good as the offense has looked all year, as far as getting extra base hits, uh, top to bottom in the order. They they really seem to have things figured out. But um, it, it's a lineup that's very lefty heavy. I mean, you will commonly see six, maybe even seven lefties in the lineup. And when you go up against a top left-handed starter, that can really kind of complicate things on you pretty quickly. So I know it, uh, Darren is still kind of, you know, he's moving things around in the lineup. He's trying to figure out what the optimal situation is. I think that's probably my biggest concern, but that might say more about the other parts of this team. I've been so impressed with the bullpen and so impressed with the starting pitching that I don't really consider those concerns at this point. I'd say maybe the other thing is base running. Nebraska just continues to, for whatever reason, make base running blunders. It seems like they make one or two outs on the base pads every game, but you know that's kind of a smaller thing. Outside of that, maybe the lineup, but the lineup is it's played well lately. Before we wrap things up here with Dan Hoppin on our Husker Baseball Talk on the HOL Podcast, Dan, Nebraska did sweep Michigan as well the previous weekend starting conference play out three and oh just put into words how big that is to get off to that kind of start because we just haven't seen it um, especially since Nebraska's joined the Big Ten where they can come out of the gates with a sweep over a quality team like Michigan that's going to probably qualify for the Big Ten tourney yeah this was uh, Nebraska's first um conference opening sweep i hope i said that right Say that uh, three times fast since uh since 2008 so yeah they, they haven't gotten off to these big starts in conference play and that's huge confidence wise especially for a team that has so many young guys it's relying on a lot of freshmen a lot of sophomores um not only in, uh, in the lineup but in the bullpen and Derek burkamper is a starter to come out and really kind of take it to michigan i mean they they won those games fairly convincingly that was huge for the confidence and, and uh, you can just start to see that mentality setting in with this team where you know they're questioning themselves less it's not, it's not so much you know can we do this it's we've done this before let's keep it rolling when we come back here on the huskeronline.com podcast we'll close the show talking husker recruiting with Nate Klaus oh oh check it out Final segment here of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus now has closed the show out with Husker recruiting talk. And Nebraska, you know, on the bye week, Nate, but uh, obviously still a lot going on with recruiting and offers and um, getting things ready for the big red-white game as far as visitors go. What's been some of the big storylines here that have popped out here the last week? Well, yeah, you know, uh, still, like you said, still a ton of offers going out. You know, uh, uh, Kenny Like is a defensive back out of, uh, you know, Illinois that just picked up an offer uh, this past week. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere, he said. But, uh, you know, uh, now that Nebraska's offered, he's looking to, to take a visit. Uh, and he's one of the top, you know, uh, guys in the Midwest, kind of in that you want to talk about, you know, uh, in that Big Ten footprint or 500-mile radius, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he's one of the top safeties in that region that will be taking a visit to Nebraska. 
Nebraska now that they've offered. Um, you know, Keith Williams, the wide receivers coach, has been extremely active. Uh, just offered uh, Javon McKinley, who's a top 100 wide receiver out of California, um, and he's developed a great relationship with him. But I think, you know, uh, towards the end of this spring break week, um, the, the top storyline is the, the vis- visitors that are going to be on campus. There's going to be four guys on, on campus this weekend. And, and break down those four visitors that will be here? Yeah, so uh, you've got uh, Rivals Top 250 uh, offensive tackle Nathan Smith out of uh, uh, California. And the, the interesting thing about Nathan Smith is, uh, I mean, he's obviously a great player, you know, a uh, uh, 6'7", 275-pound kid uh, that's uh, extremely lean and athletic, could be a left tackle prospect for you. But uh, the I think the top storyline with him is uh, that his dad is originally from Nebraska, is a huge Nebraska fan, uh, has made Nathan Smith watch, you know, documentaries on the Huskers, and uh, read up about Nebraska and, and everything. So they're really looking forward to, to taking this visit. And I think maybe even Nathan's dad is looking forward to it a little bit more than him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it, it's going to be tough to land him. He's got, you know, 20, 25 offers, maybe closer to 30 now. But uh, um, that's huge just to get him on campus. Uh, and then you've got a top 250 uh, defensive end, Austin Robertson out of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, who's another, you know, top recruit in the country uh, and, and obviously at a position of need and then you've got two guys from uh, Georgia coming up Jalil Loggins who's uh, uh, one of their top linebacker prospects and uh, uh, quarterback uh, who's Jalil Loggins uh, teammate is uh, Zeb Noland uh, will be coming up he does not have an offer right now but uh, you know kind of has been on the radar so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Noland uh, this weekend and you've been around it Nate from different staff perspectives whether it was Solich Callahan Polini and now Riley as far as the the early visitors go and and what they've been able to accomplish where does this rank for Nebraska getting this many guys on campus this early? Um, I mean, this has got to be one of the more impressive, you know, recruiting efforts uh, that I, that I've seen. You know, just in terms of the sheer amount of talent that has been on campus so far. When you when you talk about the ten guys that came from California that are part of Keyshawn Johnson's group, I mean, uh, all of those guys are you know top two fifty or top one hundred type players between the twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen class. And have offers from pretty much everywhere. Uh, and then you talk about, uh, you know, landing, you know, or getting most of the kids from the in-state and, the, you know, around the area uh, on campus for that first junior day. Uh, and then this weekend, you know, the top four visitors that are coming in this weekend, uh, two of them are, are top national type recruits. So, and this has all happened before the spring game. And that spring game, I think we're going to see, you know, upwards of 20 to 30 kids that, that either have offers or are right on the cusp of getting an offer. And it won't be just a giant group of in-state guys. It's going to be a national group in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's going to be kids coming from all over the country, um, you know, from California, Texas, uh, Florida, uh, Delaware even, you know, uh, and top 2016, top 2017 type guys uh, uh, mixed in with a bunch of regional guys as well. So uh, that's going to be a very exciting group. And and if things, you know, work out, um, you know, in in Nebraska's favor, I think that could be, you know, one of the better spring game visitor groups that we've seen in a long time. Sean Callahan here with the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking Big Red Recruiting with Nate Klaus, our lead Husker recruiting analyst here on HOL.com. Nate, I think the position that everyone always has their eyes on still, though, is quarterback. And Nebraska, with this new staff, we've kind of narrowed it down on HOL to three offers that have gone out. 
what have you seen from these three quarterbacks and kind of give us a little snapshot of each guy and the quarterbacks they've they've looked at and offered at this point well the very first guy they offered is Brandon Peters out of Indiana who's a a 6'4 195 pound you know uh, more of a pro style quarterback he's still a very good athlete though Uh, you know extremely good basketball player he can run when needed uh, but uh, he's more of your your traditional pocket passer uh, can make all the throws strong-armed kid Uh, he's going to be coming up for the spring game and uh, right now it appears that he's the number one target Um, you know they have some pretty stiff competition when you're talking about teams like LSU and and Michigan uh, being in the mix uh, but uh, And then the second offer that they made was out to, to Jacob Eason, who's currently committed to Georgia, uh, who's ranked as the number one quarterback in the country. Not just the number one quarterback in the country, but the number one overall player in the country. He's a five-star prospect out of Washington. Um, you know, he's firmly committed to Georgia, but... The interesting thing here is that that uh, Mike Riley identified him, you know, very early on in his high school career. Was actually the first coach to ever offer him a scholarship when he was at Oregon State. Uh, and his father told us, you know, hey, if something were to go sideways with Georgia, um, you know, for whatever reason, if something happened there, that you know, Nebraska and Coach Riley would be a, a team that we would highly look into, and and uh, um, and that's all you can ask for, you know, out of a, out of a player like that. Uh, uh, they really respect Coach Riley there, um, you know. And then the latest offer was out to Chris Oladukin, who's uh, kind of doesn't fit the mold of of the other two guys. You know, he's not that six four, six five, you know, traditional pocket passer. He's a six one hundred and seventy five pound kid, listed as a dual threat quarterback. Um, you know, he's currently committed to South. Florida um, you know he's not he's not a, a you know a four 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 five guy but uh, uh, he does have extremely good feet can extend the play with his feet and a good arm now this is something that Mike Riley talked about on signing day that he, he's been known to offer guys and get guys that play quarterback and then move them to other positions so it wouldn't be out of the realm that maybe this guy would be offered maybe as a quarterback athlete but could move to another position um, that's possible, but you know I, I don't think that it's extremely likely because you know even though he's listed as a dual threat guy, like I said, he's not a burner. Um, I mean, he's he's productive with his feet and, and can do some things, you know, in the the, the zone read game and, and things like that, uh, pull the ball down and scramble and make some plays. But uh, he's not he's not a burner. Uh, that you know he's not a guy that you're going to put at wide receiver and uh, you know expect to stretch the field with him. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. Let's talk some in-state recruiting here for a while. Um, you know, not, not, not a whole lot of new movement. Uh, ben Stilley, though, a guy that both you and I have been high on uh, now with two offers, Wyoming and then Ohio uh, just offered him. Um, Adriel Taylor, a kid out of Miller North, uh, a 2015 kid, um, he's got a late offer now from Ohio, and it looks like he'll sign with Ohio um, any day now. So um, a little bit of movement here on the in-state front. Yeah, you know, and I think Ben Stilley's a guy that's going to continue to pick up offers, you know, uh, going through this spring, and especially once, you know, more coaches can see him in person and kind of see his build. Uh, he's a very, you know, good-looking kid. He's 6'4", uh, 6'5", you know, 225-pound kid, uh, extremely athletic. So uh, he's going to be, you know, a guy whose who's stock continues to rise. Uh, Noah Fant continues to pick up more and more offers. He's going to be taking a visit to Purdue this weekend, uh, and I think that they'll probably offer him once he gets on campus and, uh 
uh, you know, Nebraska is still, you know, after him extremely hard. And, and uh, you know, when I spoke to him last week, he said that he's looking to make a commitment at some point this summer. And it's just kind of going through the process right now, seeing what offers come his way and doing due diligence and, and researching the schools. But I think Nebraska is sitting, you know, in a really good place with him. Yeah, with Nebraska, Iowa, Iowa State as his big, you know, power five offers, it is interesting that he's going to visit Purdue because obviously geographically the three schools I mentioned are a lot closer. But uh, I take it that's something that he's kind of had on on his plate for a while yeah they've been recruiting him pretty hard and uh you know and the academic side of things is somewhat intriguing to him uh, from what he told me so um you know and he feels right now that you know if a school is is wanting to to show as much attention as a, as a place like purdue has that he feels like he kind of owes it to at least go check things out and and uh you know once he gets on campus he's fairly confident that they're going to offer and the last in-state note uh, martez prather a running back out of lincoln southeast he visited Nebraska uh, for their final practice before spring break. And, you know, this is a guy that from talking to Martez and others around um, that the Huskers have him on the radar. This is not just some courtesy deal. I mean, they, they like Martez. And you and I had this conversation that you watch his film on a huddle. And if you didn't know he was from Nebraska, I think you'd say, wow, this guy is a player. But I think naturally people on the Red Sea Scrolls and guys around the state they look at in-state kids a lot differently than maybe if Martez was a kid down from Houston. Yeah, I think I think you're you hit the nail on the head right there because uh, I think a lot of times when when you know a kid is it's a local kid and uh, you watch the film and you're like, well, yeah, that's good film, but you know he's he's playing against you know uh, you know whoever. Um, but then you you watch a guy from Miami or or Houston and uh, he looks good on film, and you're like, wow, that kid is is a stud. But um, it, like you said, if you didn't know where Martez Prather was from and you turn Turned on the film, uh, you'd you'd be impressed. Uh, he he does a number of things very well, very quick, uh, has great speed, uh, and he's got good size. You know, he's six foot, 190 pound kid. He's a really good looking kid, and um, you know he's going to continue to to get more and more attention. And he spent in depth time with Mike Riley on that visit, uh, probably 15 minute conversation, as well as Reggie Davis. So I think that tells you right there that this wasn't just some kid getting the uh, you know the the courtesy visit. I mean, it was a legitimate evaluation uh, where, you know, he didn't make it to the junior day, so they wanted to get a chance uh, to evaluate him in person. Yeah, they're legitimately recruiting him and, and showing him attention. It wasn't it wasn't a token visit of goodwill there. All right, Nate. Well, um, that, that wraps it up here for another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Obviously, a lot of recruiting news uh, that will continue to break, so make sure you stay on HuskerOnline.com to keep up with the latest. But thanks again for joining us here for Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, and Dan Hoppen. This signs off here, another edition of the HOL podcast. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 